You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. But before that, man, it's hot. <laughs> it is so hot. <laughs> I mean... All you guys, I mean, you're all hot, but it is, like, physically hot in here, so uh, we sound like we're a little tired. Outside, it's 90 degrees, and it's 8 p.m., which is highly unusual. Yeah, and inside, it's like 100 degrees. (laughs) So we're doing the show from Phoenix. This is L.A. Over here, on my right, we've got the one and only Bobby Osinski. Hey, Mike. Hey, everybody. And next to him, we've got, hey, welcome back, Scott. Welcome back. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Across the table, we've got our good buddy, Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. Good to see you, as always. And joining us from Austin, Jersey, York, Delphia, somewhere in there. <laughs> the world traveler. <laughs> yeah, is our good buddy, Rob Arbiter, the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. Rob. Hello, everyone. It's better to just call it Parts Unknown. Okay. And <laughs> where are you? I am in Austin, Texas. Austin. I bet you from... Where it's 100 degrees and 100% humidity. Okay. Oh. Lots of fun. Now you win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But I've been looking on the weather and I thought it was a mistake. It said it was 92 degrees out there right now. I thought that was wrong. Oh, no. Apparently it's not. It's not. And actually, it's a cooling trend right now. Yeah. It was it was worse earlier. It was so. 100, 109 where I was today. 112 where we were. Ugh. It's supposed wow. to be worse on Thursday. Oh, in okay. LA. I went out Indian to... summer of pain. You know, last weekend, the hottest weekend of the year, you know, and what did I do? I decided to go out to Palm Desert. Oh. Oh, my goodness. It was 109. At night, we walked outside, and it's 102. Uh, 102 at night. That's like that's like a ripoff, right? At 102, you expect to look up and see the sun, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> hey, today we have a really uh, special guest joining us on the Audio Nowcast. We have Michael Roach from Blizzard. Hey, everybody. Yay! Hey, my special guest. And you're setting right. all kinds of expectations now. Yeah. I don't, you know. we, we are a lot of expectations, <laughs> especially for my level forty-one Torin Hunter. But uh, <laughs> I got to tell you guys about Hodor. We recorded him recently uh, for uh, as an orc, and wow, he's got twenty level ninety characters. Holy wow! This guy is a huge wow head, and he's also a very accomplished DJ. Oh, that's awesome! He must have a lot of spare time in between scenes. Well, on he only the has set. One, he only has one line. Well, he doesn't have a lot of so, memorization you know, I mean, there. Yeah. Well. We're gonna vi- we're gonna visit with Michael and we're gonna talk all about all the fun stuff. And from what I understand, you um, you record the dialogue, right? You're the voiceover producer, voiceover yeah, producer. Yeah. So myself and our, our voiceover director, we're in the studio oftentimes two, three days a week. That's great. There's there's gonna be some really great stuff to talk about there. So we'll talk about that in the second half. Um, but first, there's a lot of stuff we got to catch up with. Tons of stuff. But first, let's just talk about what happened this past week, and that is. Apple, all things Apple. Now, I don't know about you, but could they have possibly botched that whole U2 album to everybody's iTunes account more than the way they did it? I mean, it just seems there was there's a sense of arrogance. There's 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 a lot of stuff happening. There's people that are ungrateful that they're getting a free record, and at the same time, Apple making the assumption that they want the free record and all kinds of stuff. Bobby Osinski, what happened? What were they trying to do and what actually happened? It's a simple question of push or pull. People would rather pull. In other words, they'd rather select what they want 
rather than have it forced on them and pushed. And that's and the second thing is YouTube uh, is finding that they're not as popular as they once were. And there's a backlash. Now, do you think it was the combination of YouTube and Apple being these two, you know, big corporate things out there that you put them together and it almost seems obscene? Well, you know? I, like sellout and seller. I or? happen to know a little bit behind the scenes on this because U2 was just in recording at a friend of mine's personal studio and this was only about three weeks ago and at that point the album wasn't finished and it wasn't going to be finished and they they were thinking it was going to be next year so it leads me to believe that this was a very last minute kind of thing and it was so spur of the moment that it wasn't well thought out. I got you. Yeah. Because, I mean, I've been hearing rumors that it cost Apple like $100 million for this to happen, for them to be able to give it away. Basically. I think for the whole campaign that includes TV ads and all the other stuff, too. Yeah, was I that, think you're right. Was that? I mean, still, that's like, I, I just don't understand. I don't understand what the upside is for Apple and Quite frankly, other than well, I guess maybe the cash for you too. You know what the upside was. What was the upside on this? Well, I think th- Apple was thinking that U two is a lot hipper yeah. than they actually are these days. I mean, a lot of the backlash was young iTunes people sending out messages of who is U two and why did they just show up in my playlist? <laughs> yeah, I read a bunch of those. One of the other things is U two isn't out on tour, so for them it didn't make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, they knew they weren't going to sell a lot of copies anyway, uh, and they didn't because it was given away, and only two hundred thousand people chose to use it, right? So, or chose to to keep it. Really? Yeah, that's all. So they, they uh, I'm one. I I kept it. I kept it. I mean, I'll, but, but I just thought it was, you know it was, it was weird. I didn't know any backlash because I've been so far in the studio. I haven't seen a whole lot of daylight. Yeah, welcome back. Yeah, thank you. Um, I just thought, like, oh, I get a U2 song album. And then I listened to it and yeah, okay. And I just thought, wow, I get a free U2 album and didn't really think a whole lot more about it other than it's something for me to listen to. You know, the one thing I noticed about the, the release is by giving it away to so many people at the same time, it kind of cheapened the whole thing. Yeah. You know, you made it like like air. You made it disposable. You made it like, but you you can't get any cheaper than free. I mean, they I, 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 it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, I I don't know. I just I just can't see like. Doing I, I that. always thought you know it's interesting because my household is half Apple, half Google. Yep. And I'm the Apple guy, and my wife's the Google person. <clears throat> and you know, we went to. I started looking at the phones, and uh, and reality is the Samsung phone, the Galaxy, pretty sexy phone. There's a lot of really cool things. <clears throat> and then I was kind of looking online at what the Apple 6 is, and I really kind of get a sense that Apple's trying to play catch-up. They're not leading the pack at this point. And Samsung does a lot of very – I mean, it looks great. Samsung's it, been doing a lot of that stuff for years. Yeah, so it almost you know, looks it. like iPhone 6 is catching up where Galaxy has been. Yeah. So I always thought when I saw the whole U2, U2 uh, um, campaign – I thought they just wanted to make a splash, wanted to make a buzz, wanted to say, hi, we're doing something special. 
because in reality, the iPhone 6 is just kind of catching up to where the Samsung has been. Yeah. The only problem is the Samsung is going to go to a new place. Right. So it's almost like Apple in the reality isn't, uh, isn't as great unless you're an Apple person and it interfaces with everything. problem is Samsung, and I, I have a Note 4. I mean, I have a Note 3 as well yeah. as my, my iPhone. So I work. I, I do, that's my Android device. iPhones, you know, obviously my iOS device. The problem with Samsung is they just throw a lot of crap out all the time. You got a four, you got a five. If you don't like your Samsung phone, wait a week. They're going to have a new one out there, and they they change functions and they they throw their own um, UI on top of it, the TouchWiz on top of the Android. Samsung has its own set of problems, but hardware, their hardware has always been really phenomenal. It's always been really great. I mean, the resolution on the Note 4 compared to the resolution on the 6 Plus, it's, it's no contest. It's like, you know, it's, it's remarkably better by, I forgot what it is, like 4K or 3K resolution. 6 is better or Samsung? Samsung. I mean, that hasn't stopped. The pre-orders for the six and the six oh, no, plus no, to no. be the largest yes. iPhone pre-order in Apple's and, history. And you know what? Wow. The, the brilliant thing is, quite frankly, is the iPhone six plus is actually probably the perfect iOS device. It's in a really great spot between an iPad Mini and your normal iPhone because that I love that screen size, and that's one of the reasons why I, I chose the Note three was because of the screen size, and they're they're pretty comparable. Have um, you been able to find though that the Note three? Has been able to interface with your whole Apple environment. No, I, they're they're separate. They're not even the only thing that crosses over is Spotify because I've got I run Spotify on both. But other than that, they're well. I take that back. Um, my uh, I can do Word documents on all my devices. So like if I work on the notes, like today I work. So on if you the do notes. iTunes, you don't do iTunes because it's not going to work. No, I do iTunes. That's where I buy all my music still. Because does there. that work on your your? Uh, you buy Samsung? music. Well, yeah, but I like to support. People, I do buy music. I still buy music, um, but oh. uh, <laughs> but I also, I mean, I Spotify. I, you know, I'm hey man, I'm I, I do it all, brother. <laughs> but it, no, no, go ahead. Well, you know, one of the things that did happen with the YouTube backlash is we're still talking about it a week later. Yeah, and from that standpoint, it was probably a good thing for Apple, more so for Apple than it was for you too. Again, if you two was touring, this would have been perfect. It would have been great. They're not, so I, I don't quite get what benefit they had. Yeah. They don't. They don't need the money, so maybe they uh, wanted the fame. Maybe they wanted the ability to expose themselves to a new audience of younger people. Did Apple yeah. pay them? I don't know. And you know, I mean, the album is not their best album. It's yeah, a little. It kind of like it's a little it. corporate, but at the same time, it's it sounds good. I think it sounds good. There's some good production there. You no, know, again. Three weeks yeah. ago, I uh, I know that they were in the studio. They were still finishing songs. There were songs that were in various stages of completion, and they were still looking to do string arrangements. So they, it didn't sound like they were anywhere close to finishing. Now they could have had lots of stuff in the can that that my friend didn't know about, but right. but nonetheless, uh, it it. From what he described, and this was prior to all this, we were talking about it because he, he said, "Oh man, you two's in my studio," and and you know, Bono was singing to his wife and and all this stuff. It was supposed to be quite a love fest, actually. And but the way it sounded was the you know next year we'd see the album. 
Ask. So, well, maybe the reason that they were – this is complete supposition on my part, but maybe the reason that they were working in a small studio in your friend's studio is because they had booked out a lot of other spaces that were being used by producers simultaneously to get all the stuff done? This is one of the highest-end studios in one of the most beautiful places on earth. It's, it, it, it's not – it's it's not Joe Garage. <laughs> no, I, I, frankly, of all the studios I've been in around the world, for me, it's top five. Yeah. Well, can't beat that. Yeah. Well, anyhow, we'll we'll have to see what the eventual fallout in all this is. And like like you said, I didn't really hurt Apple, man. Their pre sales, the iPhone six plus, through the roof. You're going to see lines. People are already ra- waiting in line over New York, and so they're going to sell a bunch of stuff. There's and, a four and, week and, wait if you pre order an um a. Uh, iPhone 6 right now, yep. it's a minimum of four weeks from the time that they ship before you get one, and that's only going to get longer. Well, Rob. I have a question. Exactly how many iPhone 6s do you think were sold because of the U2 $100 million campaign? <laughs> well, no, wait a second. I, I think you have to clarify that. Because of the $100 million campaign or the U2 portion of that? Okay, the YouTube. Well, a lot of the ads are a lot of the press is saying the whole YouTube thing with all the TV and everything that it's generating was the hundred million dollars. But uh, okay, just let's say YouTube. Let's say YouTube was ten million dollars. What has it generated in iPhone sales? I mean, I think the backlash is it's making Apple look out of touch with what a hot group it well, is. Well, you know, it, it, that's that combined with the fact that, like you were saying, on the Android platform, you already have a lot of these technologies that are now just, now Apple is unveiling, like, you know, these are new things, you know, combined with the fact that they're using U2, you know, as their, their front man, essentially. And again, so are they really in touch? Are they really on the cutting edge? I, I also think if you look back when Apple, you know, when the iTunes came out and Apple and, and U2 was doing that, you know, one of the things that I think when you look at Microsoft products, you know, which the last campaign actually wasn't bad, but in the past, some of the campaigns are horrendously bad. So one of the things that Apple's always been actually really good at, whether it's, you know, back to the old Ridley Scott days of the film, was great marketing, great exposure. Hip, yeah. hip advertising. Cre- yeah. Hip advertising. It's a party and all that. And I do believe they said, well, it did it with iTunes in the day. And all of a sudden, let's just do it again. And and my guess is they're probably friendly and they're, they liked it. And you two of their age is probably still huge. And, and they said, yeah, let's do that. Now, the other possibility is that was the demographic they were going after. Right. And yeah. they didn't care about anything else. Well, it's true, too. And, yeah. and it, it could have been, this is an expensive phone. We're going to go after these people first, and then, and then it'll go top down. Yeah, because yeah. you know what? The 30 to 50, 30 yeah. to 60. Yeah. You know? yeah. And if you look at the song that they led with, you know, Phil Ramone, yeah. you know, it's like, that, that could be true. So we'll You're see. Right. We're going to move off this after Rob says something really quick. Just something really quick is that keep in mind that Apple has a long, long, long history of not being first at things, but waiting to see what everybody else is doing and then doing it themselves and often doing it better. So that tradition doesn't change here. And it's true that they're doing a lot of things that others have been doing, but they're going to end up learning from other people's mistakes and they'll end up doing them as well or better in their own ecosystem and it's just that's nothing new for apple and they've been very successful with it yep the other thing that about about the apple event that um kind of uh strikes me as as being interesting and especially for its implications is what's going to happen with the uh with the iwatch the iwatch 
to me is going to be something that I think is uh, is really it's the big question mark because it's it's kind of boring right yeah. now. But but I'm telling my guess is if Steve Jobs had been around, he would have looked at that iWatch and said, "That's a nice prototype. Bring it back to me when it's half as thick." That's probably true too. But here's the thing that that you know. The other thing that happens with some of the Apple stuff is you kind of grow into it. You grew into the i, you know, you grew into the iPhone. You know, you kind of grew into a lot of these. I, I'm just curious. I, I, you know, I'm not going to run out and buy one. I usually chase applications before I chase the hardware, except the iPhone. Um, <laughs> it's true. But, um, but did you order one? No, the watch or the no iPhone? the phone the six. No, not yet. Okay. I'm not. I'm just. Okay. I've, you know what? I've matured a little bit, and I don't have to be there the first day. <laughs> since, since six months ago. Huh? Yeah, that's yeah. right. But, Our little but mic I, is growing up. <laughs> but I am curious about the, the iWatch and to see what's going to happen, especially when it comes to musical applications, because there's a lot of really cool things that you can do, you know, start and stop DJ things, you know, just all kinds of, you know, the pressure sensitivity. I mean – it's pretty cool what you can do right now on the iPad. It's, you know, if you throw in an, an iPhone 6 Plus with this little watch that can communicate it and who knows what's going to happen and what kind of, you know, what kind of cool things is going to happen. So I'll, well, you I'm, can play music on your watch as long as you have an iPhone in your pocket right. that's got the music. But, but you know what, though? I, you know, I, I'm going to take it a different way. I mean, forgetting music because not everything has to be what you think it is. I'm thinking just pure business. I'm on a dubbing stage. I'm on a meeting. You know, we just had... Uh, Michael and I had dinner, so what do I do? I take my phone out, I keep tapping it. It's a little rude, but I keep looking because guess what? That's my clock. Right. So now all of a sudden I get a phone call. I don't want to make a big thing of it. I look at it. I now have all this information rather than putting a phone bam on the table. Yep. Now all of a sudden I can do much more subtle business I, things. I can, I can see And that. being able to multitask Absolutely. in ways to go like, why you? Because if I take out with a director and I put sure. my phone on and I start looking at my phone, He's going to go, look, you're just wasting yeah. my time. Why are no. you on the phone? No. But the reality is we always have to be in touch on the business side. That's cool. Rob, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think also we are an audio podcast, I realize. But to me, the game changer about the phone and the watch uh, are is, that, is actually the mobile payment stuff. I yes, mean, absolutely. The deals, the deals that Tim Cook arranged were definitely on the Steve Jobs level of amazing because the only way a system like that works is if you get people to buy into it. And the deals that they're coming out of the shoot with, the banks and, and merchants and stuff that are using it, that is a game changer. And that's probably the most significant thing about the phone and the watch in the long term. Yep. And I think it'll be good to see how it develops and where it goes. It may fail, but it may, may do really good. I, I'm going to leave it open. Uh, go ahead. Were you going to say? Well, just to show you how deeply that cut already i received a notice from my payment online payment gateway saying we're in on this program now if they did that and it's down to this level where where it's down to the individual businessman right you know right i'd say that's a pretty significant inroads there that they made and you know what it's really i'll tell you look if they solve that problem and i think that's huge because Right before I went on vacation, um, I had an incident where a card got skimmed and people were yeah. buying gas. Yeah, I had the same a- across, thing across yeah. across sure. you know the San Gabriel Valley. Yeah. So the bank calls up and says, "You know, were you buying? No, we weren't buying gas there." Blah blah blah. And then next thing you know, it um, we had to get uh, you know had to get new cards and all kinds of stuff. So uh, all that to say is that's that's actually a great way. 
I was going to say the thing that really excites me the most about Apple Pay and the question that I have is how long will it be before we don't actually need credit cards in our wallet, which means rather than having a wallet, you could have a container for your iPhone that has a little bit of money for cash and for your driver's license and you have one less thing that you're carrying and around you with you all the time. That's That'd so, pretty cool. so basically the ad is lose the bulge. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, I kind of like oh, having that little yeah. <laughs> that pillow lean against. Yeah. All right, well, hey, you're listen. an artist. <laughs> We're going to move on because I got another thing I want to talk about uh, this first half and that is I don't know if you guys got the letter from Stephen Slate for Slate Digital. Are you familiar with that? Where basically anybody who has any of his plugins, he sent out a letter um, essentially apologizing for not having the updates out for like FGS and um, some of his other plugins. And um, basically said that he got distracted and put his resources in other places. And now that they're going to focus 100% on on getting these updates out. But um, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if anybody has any of the Slate Digital stuff, you know, the, their uh, FGX or any of that. But, um, yeah, it's not, you know, AAX. You can't use it on Pro Tools 11, things like that. I just found two things. At first, you know, when I read the letter, you know, if you listen to the podcast, I've been less than kind on the Raven, <laughs> you know, that big giant touch oh, yeah. screen. Although I will say the small one is, is kind of cool. I, I would I would definitely go the small with the small one. The small one's interesting. One the big yeah. one is oh, ridiculous. Oh, but – well, OK. We can come back to this. <laughs> I, I, I have new news on that. Because it's bursitis. Well, it's like uh, – Oh, no, no. I have new news on okay. that. But anyway, to, to – <laughs> to, um, but the fact that he came out and realized that he overextended himself, because Slate Digital totally overextended themselves. If you look at what they've tried to do in the last couple of years with not only getting into the the Hard, console market. Hardware, software, consoles. The, the virtual mics. Yeah, and virtual the, mics. And then trying to come up with their own standard with their – their digital 500 series rack and, and, and all this other stuff. You know, the guy wants to be a player in the industry. I mean, that's what he's trying to do. He's, he wants to be a player. And if you look at all their marketing, it's all basically him as a personality, leading the charge, leading the charge, leading the charge. And, and sometimes you can't force that stuff, right? It, you, you're only as good as your last product. And, and you take one product and do it good and release it and support it. Man, that's that's golden, man. That's going to get you a lot of credibility. And in this business, you're only as good as the, your bank of credibility, you know? Because one flop, and there goes that credibility. But then when you start flopping on a lot of different levels here and there, and you're trying to bring out too much stuff, it's like it, it's this whirlwind of stuff, you know? Um, what were you going to say, Bobby? We've talked about the Raven a lot, and we've all brought up our trepidations about it. Um, one of them is the fact that are, are you going to get, you know, your arm basically, you know, tired and, and from constantly reaching. I went to Dave Pensado's studio a few weeks ago, and what's there but a raven? I said, Dave, I can't believe you're doing this. He says, No, look, it's brilliant, and the way it's actually laid out, you don't have to do any reaching. It's laid out so you can lay your hands down on the desk and you can get everything from there. Uh, the, you can get 75% of what you need. And there's a lot of actions. There's a lot of macros built into it that is basically one swipe. 
Like, for instance, if you want to assign channels to a subgroup, it's one swipe. It's very easy. So they've thought of that. Uh, I'm surprised. And Dave was, uh, you know, Dave Pensato. I mean, he. he oh, what has he it. done? Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but he he was showing me. He says, "Look, you don't you don't have to move at all." And and it was all like this, on the screen. It, I you know what? Like I said, I, I'm not a big fan of the big one, but yeah. I like the little one. And because of that, because of the macros, they've done some really cool things where you can get really um, you can go into to increments that you can't even go in the software that they do. You know, when you're trying to do some precision. And what is the cost of the small one? It's like twenty five hundred bucks, but. But that their workability, that I don't think was the was as much of the issue as, you know, not having to always look at, you know, what you're doing, where you're doing, and how you're doing it. The lack of tactile feedback. That's always been my my thing, especially when you're working on on music and stuff, or even when you're working in posts. But where you want to just feel knobs and you can just push and touch. The workability, man. I could. You know, I I could see a hybrid system. I could see using a box and and a slate. You know, and their little slate. I, as a matter of fact, I said, man, that would be a really great demo to show the merging of both worlds. You see this API box, which is really cool, has all the functions you want on an analog side, and you work with a great you know little little digital side with the uh, with the slate digital. I mean, I'm surprised you don't have one already. <laughs> yeah, that's like what I just talked about twenty grand worth of stuff. Right so here's there. my so here's my concern, and it's a straight it's a straight business thing. The Slate Mini Raven may be the most awesome thing in the world, but the guy mentioned on his own that he's been distracted and he doesn't right. have the yeah. infrastructure and the ability right. to be able to service all of the different directions that he went. Now you're a small businessman and you have a certain amount of money in the bank and a certain amount of credit with banks and stuff. You can only you can only grow so much. Um, so imagine, if you will, you're going and investing all of that money, twenty five hundred dollars, in something um, you know that is a product of a small company like that. That company goes under. Your support for the Raven is gone. Yeah. Well, yeah. even even Can you more say John, than that. John Ross's glass console. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Well, all of a sudden, they changed they changed Pro Tools systems. See. Ya. Well, that's what I'm saying. That that's even you know Pro Tools twelve. Yeah, one driver away, it's now obsolete. Right? Yeah. So, but you know, I, I don't. All this to say is, is I, I think what he did with his letter, I have to hand it to him. Is at least he was honest and he came said, clean. "Hey, yeah. came clean." He you know took the blame and and he kind of manned up. Um, like I said, I haven't always. I love his stuff. Some of his stuff, a lot of it was coming out. But I think you know, if you want to be a player, you know, you got to play. Play well. Play your instrument. Play that one little instrument well. Don't try to play the whole orchestra and, and just do it and do it consistently. And, and there's a reason why you look at all the big players. You know, they're old guys, you know, because they've been doing it a long time and they've been doing it the same over and over. You look at APIs, you know, with four, over 45 years in the business and you look at the Neves and you look at. But, you know, you know look, but even software, you look at it because I've been doing a lot of work with Isotope lately. Right. And, you know, when you look at post production, the RX is a de facto standard oh, yeah. in every dialogue system. Is it really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. I mean, there's no dialogue system in Hollywood without RX. Huh. Post-production games. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they really even knew that. And I said, do you realize, you keep thinking, oh, music restoration, all that. screw that. I mean, nothing against music restoration. It's very valid. But there's a whole marketplace right. that is used on everything dialogue. Dialogue mixers. 
dialogue editors. Why? They've got dirty tracks. They've got clip tracks. They've got tracks with problems. And this is the one tool that elegantly and cost-effectively fix all of it. Yeah. And, you know, they were like, whoa. Their dialogue cleanup, just that. I mean, they literally have a, have a, a plug Spectral EQ. I mean, spectral that's, editing. That's I mean, like... Holy it's shit. called dialogue cleanup. <laughs> it's yes. like you well, put that on, boof. It, it, it like even if you don't touch it, even if you just put it on, boom, it's going to do what, wonders. For what what does it clean up? It cleans up noise, hum. It clean. It, it oh. literally. For, it, 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 they also have a really good um, deverb that actually oh, yeah, works yeah. really but well. But they're spectral editing. So let's say all of a sudden there we're doing a period piece, okay? And there's a, uh, an airplane by, but I'm supposed to be in the horse era. Well, theoretically, get rid of it. You can't use it. We've got an ADR. But now somebody says, oh, I'm going to just highlight that airplane, make it go away, mm. interpolate the difference. Boom. Done. And it does it fast. It's Photoshop. It, exactly. Well, well, it's, yeah. The thing is, though, with the spectral editing, though, they, that's cool. But, like, Sony has layers, which kind of does the same. It's Photoshop. But you know what? It, but, but now you've got to go out of Pro Tools. No, I understand. This is all within Pro Tools. It declicks, declips. Distorts, see the noises, I'll tell you, and spectral editing all in the box. I tell you, deverbs and deverbs. Now, you know, the D, the the D clipper is magic. I mean, yeah. it is literally. I mean, I like the spectral editor, but some of the other stuff, like the D clipper, I get stuff all the time that's recorded where it literally it's clipping, it's clipping, it's just tabletopped, right? You run the D clipper on it, it, it I don't know where it finds it, but it like puts the peaks back in without it clipping and you're like holy smokes and it does it's not buzzy and it works it works I especially mean, you, on implosive on plosive syllables with that just zizz right you know that that you know or any of the plosives right and they just hit that mic really hard and you hear that little you know you put that on there it totally it or it distorts and it just declips yeah and all of a sudden something that was pretty much almost unusable because i did this one indie film and I just thought, wow, you've got to do so much ADR for this. This is so bad. And I said, all right, let me, let me really give this stuff a run for its money. And I did this uh, right before Pacific Rim. And, I, you know, it's like when you first succeed, try not to show your amazement. And I was just like, my jaw was so far open. I was like, and it works, and it works. And, and there were things that I'm like, I don't even, I can't imagine what I would have done without this program. And to be honest, between RX and I think Waves WNS. Yeah. God, you can do a lot. And all of a sudden, I've taken so many dialogue tracks and cleaned them up to points where you go, this is so usable. Because the point is, it's like a good performance in music. You've captured something special. The actor's doing something special. You bring them back in. They're not in the mode. They're distracted. Whatever. It's ADR. It sounds like ADR. If there's anything you can do to capture the magic of that performance at that time and you've got an, an, a cleanup system that does it it's worth everything you know what i'm waiting for and and i think they could do this is back in the day um you remember vocal align remember yeah. that program vocal vocal line, yeah it was made by synchro arts i think yeah. was the name of it yep. they had this this program where you could feed it like a second of fill and it would generate you feed it like a second of tone and it would generate like 10 seconds of tone right. based on that particular footprint. And man, if they – But without it just looping. And right, right. Loop, 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 they loop. basically they, – they use a little bit of random chaos on yeah. the background because it's all random anyhow. And it, 
it would fill out like 10 seconds. So yeah. you give it one second, but you need 10 seconds, but you only have the little tail end of a, of a, of a take. You feed it in. Boom. I mean, it's like granular synthesis, right? For, Once, for, and I think, man, if 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 Isotope, and I bet you they could do that because their 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 software is so good. If they can bring that, if they can bring that out in a version of like RX five or something, literally, that would solve. Ninety nine percent of a dialogue editor's headaches, right, right there. Alex Westner at uh, Isotope, are you listening right, right now? Back, are you hearing right? this? Backfill, backfill is such a huge thing. Well, you got tone know? matching now, and they've got a lot of interesting. Yeah, but know. to be Michael, able to generate that stuff. Sorry, do you do you use RX over at Blizzard? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a, a ton. I mean, in. in you know, they're, they're just it's just in any I mean any dialogue situation. I mean, in some days you'll just have actors that you know they're just especially clicky, and you know the the declicker in Isotope works like a dream. Yes. You use it I mean, for yes. wet mouths. Yeah, our yeah. editors. That's one of their go-to tools. Yeah, yeah. It's, All my dialogue guys at Disney use mm-hmm. it too. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, and um, when we come back. Um, I'm going to talk to you about another program, Scott. That I just, I literally, I'm the last, Ooh. I'm the last person in America to use this program. Um, but I'll tell you what that is on the other side. All right, so we're going to take a break, and we'll pick it up on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the break, we were talking Apple, Slate, Let's talk orange jams. Let's talk about other kinds of food, you know? <laughs> Hey, really quick! I teased before the uh, before the break that um, I was the last person in the world to use this piece of software. But seriously, out of my friends, I think I really am. I got I just got Soundminer. Oh. Yeah. Oh, you mean you're the just. last person who have learned about this piece of software? <laughs> and if and if you don't if you don't know what Soundminer is, is it seems pretty small. It's this um, sound effects searchable tool that you can use where basically you get your sound effects library, you throw it into it, and it indexes it all. Um, but holy smokes. I mean, just the speed increase alone with sound effects editing? Because yes. I used to... Well, you know, the thing is, it's funny. You said, oh, it's a, it's a, a search database, and yet there's more. Oh, yeah. Um, no, there's because a, a lot of people have these extensive, crazy VST chains, yep. and their pitching on it is really pretty, pretty spectacular. So a lot of times, a lot of people are totally manipulating the sound before it ever gets into Pro Tools. No, that's, that's – uh, yeah, that's – the first searchable thing was amazing. And then I found out what else you can do with this thing, and I was just going to say, the fact that you can pre-process some of these stuffs before, you, before it even hits – your Pro Tools session, and you can spot it. I mean, it was just, it literally changed my workflow. You mean you overnight. can do it in SoundMiner? You can process? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. That's yes, because basically SoundMiner is its own little program that's working outside of Pro Tools or whatever your DAW is, and it's rewiring back into your, you have a, an OGS in Pro Tools that you're listening to it. And then 
when you like your sound and everything, then you can throw it into your session and it'll go into your session. And so you can have like 50 gunshots and like I like 23. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, high, you, know, you highlight 23. Then you say I want to use some R bass. I want to use low ender. I want to use all these different things. I want to give it a L3 on it. I want to clean it up a little bit. You do all that before it ever goes into Pro Tools. Huh. Boom, done. And and it spots to right where you need it. That, and that to me was pretty amazing. Like I'll be honest, I was really old school, you know, where basically I'd listen in my, you know, in the browser and get the get it what you need it, and then I'd go in there and I'd trim it in there and I'd be doing all this manipulation. And I'm like, and I just I'm just used to doing that. I mean, I'm really fast at doing that, but I was used to doing that. But man, when I got Soundwire, I was like, holy smokes! It literally, it would be like. If you're a, if you want to be a sound effects editor and you want to know what your second tool is, <laughs> that's your second tool. Learn how to master that thing, and and it, it's just amazing how fast you are. And, and in this game, it's all about speed. It's and the new version it. does not only does it, you can do like VC, uh, VSO, so you can, you can play a little bit, but now it'll do reverse. Wow! So you can reverse it, process it, put it in, and it's just it's fast. I mean, it's interesting. I used to. Thousand years ago, I used to have a hybrid arts ADAP system, which was kind of like SoundForge. What was great about it, though, was I was built it into the waveframe uh, that I had because all of a sudden you would take it and it was so fast in manipulating audio like SoundForge that you would go just get what you wanted, manipulate it, go through the outboard gear into the system, and you were already there. So now you didn't have to do the automation, do the processing. You can just come up with that great sound from the get-go. And not only that, it's already libraried. So, yeah. It, so, sound – I mean, Soundminer, it's amazing. I recommend it. I, I don't – I feel dumb for not doing it. <laughs> but There's the a lot time, of tools out there. And Soundminer, by the way, is not the only you know, sound effects right. librarian. There's Netmix. Right. Um, there's a couple of others that are out there, but Soundminer has really emerged as being the de facto standard yeah, for and, post people that I know for sure. And I can see why. It's, and also it's really music excellent. editors. Yes. yes. It works just as well editors. for music libraries yeah. as yeah. it does for sound no, effects libraries. Especially if you put the metadata in it. Right. That's, oh, that's a very important thing. So let's say, for example, Bobby, you've got your whole music library of different things that, you, that you've done over the years, and you want to be able to access them to be able to get things quickly. So you can grab all of them. You can literally grab the folders on your Macintosh, right? You open up the main window, you drag and drop, it pulls all of them into whatever the new database is that you've created in SoundMiner. Then once you're there, you can go in just like in iTunes and you can say what the composer is and the affiliation and you can add all sorts of searchable keywords like bright or sunny or country or anything you want. Once you're done with that, you take all that data. There's a button that says, you know, export metadata. You've now all of a sudden taken all of that data and you've exported it into the broadcast wave header of all of your files, which means if you were ever to lose the database or you were to take that file and take it somewhere else and drag it into somebody else's uh, librarian, all of that metadata is preserved and it immediately comes into the database as a result. So you no longer need that database file yeah, itself. It, it's, it's, and another yeah. thing that happens in big companies when I was a sound um, you'd have 80, 90 editors, right, over years. Well, it keeps track of what people liked and when they downloaded it. Mm. So what happens is it's like the favorites, they come up top. So you're trying to do something really fast. The first 25 or 30 are everybody's favorite because everybody used it for an element. So instead of – because sometimes you'll look and you'll go, oh, crap, 2,500 
choices. I don't want to hear 2,500 choices. But then you look at the first 100, and that's what everybody's really loved. So now, all of a sudden, the good stuff's on top. If you want to go really fast, that's the way to do it. Yeah, it's a great tool. I recommend it. And, um, and yeah, I, I can't say enough good things about that. And, look, we all have our workflows. And we're all used to certain things. I mean, I worked one way, and I actually got this a little bit ago, but I haven't seen you, Scott, so that's why I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> um, because I know you were a big user of it. And, you know, it's never too late to change. Yeah. <laughs> it's never too late to adapt. And in this business, adapt or die. So, you know, you got to keep moving. You got to keep go faster, better, faster, better. Soundminer is great, and I've been using it for years. However, my issue with it is hey, that. Don't. No. Now no, no. Is, now never is mind. Not the time. Don't it's ruin it the for greatest me. software ever. No, the no, issue that I have ahead. with Soundminer is that its user interface is completely distinct on its own. It hasn't followed like OS X guidelines. It doesn't look like it's part of OS X, and it doesn't look like it's an extension of Pro Tools. It's its own thing. Oh, that's true. Cares. I care because you have but to spend a lot of time remember. Well, you have to rememorize well, all the keystrokes yeah, and have to standardize other things. It, there are things like that. But the, does I, that mean that when they Pro Tools 11, they got to keep changing the keystrokes? Understood. And what happens if you use a window? What happens if no? That's the thing. That's my. I thing. would prefer that it just looked like OS ten. So <laughs> I, I, you know what? I there's a validity in that because it's you. It's not as intuitive, right. If you were a Mac person, it's not like you could use the program without looking at the manual. The learning curve is higher, and there's a million menu items. I mean, the thing really so I could grew up use with Alpha Micro, so it sucks. Yeah, so yeah but all I'm saying is it could use a UI scrub. To make it look a little bit more modern, if, I still think it's awesome. But you know what? <laughs> if the only thing it needs is you know a new suit, look, it's fine. <laughs> it's you, know, I, you know, I'd be tempted. I haven't used it that way, but even Michael about even using it for dialogue, dialogue sorting, so you have understand of who was recorded, where it was mm-hmm. recorded, what yeah. mic, tag it with all the tag actor it with all the information that you've got, and, you know, where Absolutely. it was recorded, when it was recorded, yeah. and then yeah. So this right. way, whether it's legal, SAG, you know, issues mm-hmm. or even Q sheet mm-hmm. issues. All of a sudden, there's the there's your list of everything that was used. All right, we're going to move on because we got we got a lot of uh, stuff okay. to uh, cover. Um, I have a uh, a couple things here. Um, number one, uh, a friend of mine. <laughs> I was I was working at a mix um, with a with a friend of mine and over at his studio, and um, and this will just be really quick, but it's a really good tip and a really good hint for people. I went over there one time, we mixed something. It was loud. It sounded great. It was awesome. And then went over there again to work on a couple little tweaks on it. And it, and it, it just, it sounded a little weak. It didn't quite sound the same. (laughs) And I was like, I couldn't understand why it didn't sound the same. And it was the exact same session. Well, it turns out that basically the levels in the room he had adjusted and he tweaked things and he tweaked the sub a little bit and tweaked there. And so then fine, we went over. That's fine. No problem. Okay. Get it back to where you liked it. Boom. Went over there again and it sounds different. And this guy is changing the levels in his room. I mean just your regular work reference levels. Now, and and I just want to stress, look, when you mix, one of the simplest things to do is to, to know your room. But know your room at a specific level, right? Do like a mix level. And every time you mix, that's your comfort level that you want to mix at. Now, true, you want to reference at different levels. You want to see what it sounds like with a little low, things like that. But there should be a point where you can come in and consistently have like boom so that you know 
wow, the bass is really sticking out because you get to learn your room at that particular level. You you just know it. It's like, you know, you know, it's always on, you know, seven. I always mix to seven. Like if you're in post-production, you're mixing at like minus 79, you know, room, bigger rooms or minus 85, things like that. I mean, set your level and learn your room at your level because it'll make it a lot easier for you to identify mix problems. And And I just find that, is such a basic thing, but people don't do that. Now, that's not to say you never do a you know a minus twenty pad if you want to listen to it low, or hey, you know it's late at night, want to want to work. But there should be like a reference level of your room. Am I correct? I mean, no, you know, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I've totally screwed myself numerous times by, especially on the gaming side, when I'm doing mixes, and I go, yeah, you know, I want to start listening lower, and, and especially because I think the difference between let's say, post-production of music, is there's a certain testosterone level for certain types of, like, game mixes. I got explosions. I got things happening. Things I want to shake the room. I want to just rock it. And then I go, yeah, okay, I'm getting tired of, like, screams and explosions. So I turn the volume down. And then I go, God, the mix just doesn't have something going on. So what do I do? I add a little something going on. Then I realized, oh, shit, I was actually listening to lower levels. So I turn it up. I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of getting a little edgy, and i got to pull that back a little bit. And it's something that you just start losing where that sweet spot, sweet spot for the punches because you want the mix to punch and pop a little bit um, and have a little bite to it. The question is, where does that live? And it, it, it's a whole discussion into itself as to where what even the listening level should be. Right. And, and I'm not even – I don't even want to turn it into the number discussion. I'm just saying wherever your comfort level is. Yes, yeah, keep consistent. Just, just yeah. keep it consistent. Just keep it consistent so that you just you just know, oh, that's that's too loud, you know, because it you've, you've worked in this room and you know that it shouldn't stick out like that. But especially, you know, if you're working in post-production, you know where your dialogue lives. Like – Dialogues right there. That's where it should be. That's it. Just sounds like that. Even if you didn't look at the meters, you closed your eyes, you could still tell where your mix was at, and that I think would have helped my friend. And you know what? We're all guilty of that. I've been guilty of that. Although lately, um, you know, in my professional career, I I know where I can mix, so I know if something is too loud or or too soft just by just by listening. You know, but you know, you're only as good as your ears. So learn your room at a very consistent level so that you can tell these things right off the bat and that you don't have a friend that comes over three times and it's three different levels and you're changing the mix a bunch of times, you know, because it just doesn't sound the same. So I just want to do a little little, little sidebar on, on levels. But I just think it's, you know, no matter what speakers you have, keep it consistent, keep it level. Right, right, Michael? Yeah, I mean, it begs the question, why was he messing around with it so much? I, you know what? I think yeah, people I mean, sometimes look for like, like Scott was saying, you look for a little extra. Maybe you're not listening to it right. You maybe you're listening. I don't know. I, you know, I for know. Uh, for us, I, what I find is I very rarely go up to make it louder because you never want to do that, especially in post. Right. But what happens is you go down. Uh, like I have to admit, when we did Pacific Rim and we were doing these massive battles that were really loud, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, "We're going to lose our hearing." Right. And the ear fatigue. So, and all we want to do now is let's say pan foley or do a panning pass. I don't need it to be loud. So, yeah, we'll go into dim and we'll drop it way down just so we could track it because we don't, we're not really mixing towards levels or tonality. It's just panning information. Right. So, yeah, sometimes we'll, we'll go into dim, we'll make a pan pass, do something like that. 
uh, and then we'll come back, bring it back to level. Because sometimes you need to clear your ears a little bit. Yeah, and you know what? It, even if you learn – look, I know about your fatigue and everybody gets air fatigue if you mix too loud. So you know, work at a certain level. But if you need to go down, then go down a, to level. But there should be – you should be able to hear your room and know your room. You should be able to know your room in several – or your not even your room, whatever your mix environment is. Because I understand not everybody has a room to mix in. Sometimes you're mixing in you know, your bedroom or whatever. Just just learn it at different levels so that you know how and what and, and why it's yeah, you mix way. it level and then after you feel like your mix is like ninety five percent done, then I like to drop levels. Then I like to look I'll even take a speaker, put it on the floor. I mean just anything to put it in my, my laptop. I now want to hear it at many different levels and I wanna see without any low end enhancements, how does this thing play? Right. And then you go, oh, look at that. That's that 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 relationship isn't the same. Yeah, just consistency. Hey, really quick, as long as we're on mixing, I'm gonna we're gonna geek out right here, and then we're gonna get to you, Michael. But um, clip based gain. All right, I got a real big pet peeve on clip based gain. Okay, I love clip based gain. I think it's the best thing ever in Pro Tools. But I don't think you should do a whole mix with just clip based gain because. It's not a very elegant way to mix. I think you can use clip-based gain to even out your dialogue, even out your parts, fix little things there. But I think you still need to have a certain amount of volume automation to, to work on your mix because it's a pain in the butt if another mixer has to go in there and has to decipher what you did because you and and all of the lines are are flatline. You see no volume elevation automation. You just see clip based gain. And I don't know about you guys. I mean, I, I I use it as a as a a vehicle to level out. You've got a lot of headroom. You've got like what plus or minus twenty four, right? I think you can go up to twenty four up, and or is it thirty two that you can go up on clip based gain? It's some big more number. than I've ever tried. Right? It's just some big number, and it's it's just raw gain. It's just like blah. Right, and and it's great if you need to level it out, and you gotta the end of the word is just kind of diving off, and you gotta save that, you gotta bring it up. But then when it comes time to kind of blend everything together, you want to do that with your faders, you want to do that uh, with your augs, you want to do that on on a on a bigger level because it'll just it'll allow you to blend a little bit more elegantly. I mean, that's just me. Am I wrong? Am I off my rocker? I don't think you're off your rocker. I think that any time that you are talking about a workflow in which you're sharing your work with somebody else down the line, you need to be able to give them all of the communication you possibly can so that they can succeed at their part. So let's say that you know I were creating a premix of sound design, sound design premix, and then I was going to send it off to a sound effects mixer or somebody else on the stage who wasn't me and I'm not there, right? It's completely useless for them to be able to just see a whole series of, you know, sound effects stems. I mean, you can see somewhat because of the clip gain affects the size of the waveform within Pro Tools, so you get some idea about where things are. But it's not telegraphing to you what it was that my original intention was in terms of creating a premix that being able to do it with automation data absolutely would because I could go and look at it and say, oh, look, you can see what he did. He moved it up here and he did a crescendo there and he brought it down. I'm just going to grab that area. I understand his intention and I'm going to bring it down to EB instead. And, and I just think when you're bringing up your gain with clip-based gain, you're not only bringing up the volume of, of your actual waveform, you're bringing up that noise floor right with you. You know, that, that noise is coming up right with you. And I don't know. I just think it's good to even stuff out with, but... But when it's time to mix, 
you know, you want to mix with the faders, you want to use a little bit of volume automation. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I'll just add, I agree it's it's more for fixes than mixes, but um, another byproduct of doing a mix where you do too many things in clip gain, especially when you're bringing up gain, is when you hand that session off to other people, it makes it very easy to hand them a session where it looks like the faders are down, yet everything seems to be clipping. Yeah. Like, you can have a real disconnect between the levels behind the scenes and what your faders are looking like. So I, I use it as a repair tool because also it is nice to be able to see with volume automation a bird's eye view of the moves you've done, which you don't get any sense of that with ClipGain. Yeah. I'm going to counter on this. Because why not? Why not? Um, so, you know, we use ClipGain a tremendous amount in our mix. And let me explain why and the how. We don't use it to fix. We don't use it to level. What happens is uh, the way we build all our sessions, because I'll have like a thousand tracks. It's not unusual. But what happens is I'll have an aux and a VCA and then a whole bunch of elements that we use to create that sound. So let's say it's a creature. Let's say it's movement. Let's say it's something interesting. Well, that's made up of maybe 16 to 30 different elements. Right. Well, I could do one of two things. I'm not going to take all the volumes of 30 different elements and bring it down uh, in, as far as normal volume. If I bring the aux down, what I'm doing is I'm doing it post-plugin. Sometimes I'm hitting it too high because what happened? When we built it without music, it sounded fine. Right. It sounded really good. But now I've got this really subtle, soft piece of music, and I'm, and I'm stepping all over it. So I'll highlight in one swoop 20 or 30 different sound effects, and then I toggle down. And I'll toggle down 6 to 8 dB, and I'll get it in the pocket. So a lot of times what we're finding, both in dialogue and effects, most of us are now mixing just purely in clip gain in regards to getting the rough mix to get it within a DB. You're not going to, to do all the moving fader, you know, the fade ups and fade downs and play in the fader. But you, when you've got so many tracks, you're hearing music, you've got to move fast, you can grab a whole bunch of sounds. Like I just did a rough OMF mix, and every time from a cutting room, it's always like 8 dB too loud. So what do I do? I grab the whole freaking thing and I DB down 9 dB. I, you know what? I have no problem with that workflow because you're, you're, you're using it in a really great way to do it. I mean you're, right. you're, taking, you're taking parts that you need to bring up and you need to bring down. You're gaining them up, gaining out. Not a problem. But it also but, affects the pre-plugin. And that's important because if you've got a compressor and I'm just slamming into that compressor because I wanted to put it on. Yeah. Because I, I find that sometimes sound uh, Pro Tools can be a little harsh. Right. So what do I do? I take clip gain everything down. So all those sounds that are now feeding the input of the compressor are hitting it differently, for better or for worse. Sometimes I like the way it's hitting it. So now I want to bring that sound down. Right. I'll do that on the aux. But sometimes I, I want to get more air, more roundness to it, and I'll bring it back in clip no, gain. No, and I think that's a brilliant way to do it too, especially, you know, like you said, if you if you have your plugin and you want to affect the plugin more than just using your volume, you want the gain to affect how it's interacting with it. Yeah. No problem. But I bet your whole session isn't just that. And I bet if you pulled up the volume automation, you just wouldn't see flatline, 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 flatline. Yeah, you know, flatline. for me, it's it's you know, it's interesting. I, I when I mix, um, especially in my the different stuff that I do mix, I start with clip gain. I go, I do a pass in all clip gain. Bring everything kind of where I want it, like a sculptor. Right. Here's a head, here's a nose, and all that. The next thing I do is I do VCA. Why? It's pre-aux. So then I start doing a little more with that. Then the mix is like 98% there, and now I just want to not change anything. 
I kind of got the sounds. I like the way the EQs, the compressors, and all the plugins are working. Then I'll do post plugins, and I'll just bring it up and down a dB, half a dB, a quarter dB, you know, right. little things to just yeah. tailor it around. So it's the three different gain stages. No, and I think there, I mean, there you go. You're using all the tools. You're using it right. You're you're using everything that you can, and you you get a good product out of the deal. Yeah, I'm it's just the way I work. No, but it's no that's right that's great, especially VCAs. People don't use enough VCAs. I think VCAs oh, are totally under underrated. You know, you get people up there that, yeah, it's just VCAs are magic. If you don't know what a VCA is, go into Pro Tools, find out about VCAs. Oh, VCAs are fantastic because they are they are a great little tool, and you can do all kinds of fun stuff. And sometimes. You know, sometimes you just want to – you just needed a little fix and a little mix here. You know, you don't want to grab anything but the VCAs. But, Mike, I mean, the, you do a lot of complex mixes too. My favorite VCA, and it's my secret weapon – not secret, but it's my biggest weapon – is all sound effects. Yeah. Because all of a sudden – you know, I'm a sound designer. I like my sound effects. Yeah. Then I take a break, come back after lunch and say, you know, I like the mix. I just need to bring it back just, just a little bit. And I, so, so I have a VCA that controls – all the other VCAs. I have nested VCAs. Oh, see, I've never done that. Oh, that. it's great. You have nested VCAs. And then you drink it back just a dB. Just a little bit because I wanted the music to have a little more air. And now with cleaner ears, I can hear it. Oh, I have so nested VCAs. See, I've got, I've got a VCA on, my, on voiceover, um, dialogue, effects, and music. And I find a lot of times when the clients are giving me notes... I'll just adjust the VCA just a little smidge here, just a little smidge there because it won't rock anything out of whack and I can satisfy them and satisfy me too at the same time. It's, it's great. It's brilliant. That, and you can, yeah, it's brilliant. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> we got a lot. But uh, I just had to – I don't know. I just had to say those two things. I missed you guys. Just want to let you know. I missed all of you. <laughs> Michael. Yes. Tell us about Blizzard and what you do, man. I mean, because quite frankly, you do realize that for a lot of people, you, it's like you work at you know the it's Holy like the Grail. Holy Grail. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's, it's a pretty amazing place. I've actually, I, you know, I just uh, I just started back in February, so I haven't even been here that been down here that long. Um, I came up from the Bay Area. I was working at uh, Paramine Studios up there. So up there, I, even though I was producing up there as well, I was uh, you know I was a lot more hands on with content. As compared to what I am now, I'm very hands off. So you know, I have the audio background, but in my role at Blizzard now, you know, I'm working on you know all the scheduling and the management logistics of of getting voiceover done. But um, yeah, I mean, Blizzard's an incredible place. You know, I mean, our it, mostly everybody that you know knows Blizzard knows Warcraft, they know Starcraft, they know right. Diablo. But you know, we're we're branching out into these new territories. We're you know with Heroes of the Storm, we're in the MOBA genre now. You know, yeah. going up against League of Legends. Yeah, and you know, in Hearthstone. Which is, a, you know, it's an iPad game. You know, anybody can just jump into that. It's 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 not something like you know Warcraft where you have to invest hours and hours, you pour hundreds of hours into this thing. I mean, Hearthstone you can pick up, you can play a hand in ten minutes, and you're done. You're in and out. You right. know? I mean, so it's really it's very different. You know, um, and so it's a really cool time to be a part of the company. But um, it's also just it's an incredible thing to work with the audio team that we have down there. Um, How big is the audio team down there? Well, it's forty people. 40 people 40 people holy smokes right i mean for a game developer that's amazing enormous i mean nick how 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 big is your your audio team about nine 
Yeah, and and, and you know, yeah. I mean, and, and we're it, so it's it's such a luxury to yeah, have. It's amazing. I, I mean, it's forty people. I mean, it, and that includes the producers. So there are eight producers, and then uh, there's a lot of sound designers. There's you know our, our audio director Russell Brower, our production director, and um, and our voiceover director Andrea Toyas, who I work with you know really closely. And um, this whole year is just you know this, this just coming off an insanely busy summer. I mean, we're getting ready to you know ship the new uh, Warlords of Draenor expansion yeah. for World of Warcraft. Yeah. That's going to be huge. Um, you know, we're still in development with Heroes of the Storm. The game hasn't even been released yet. I was telling Scott at dinner, we had uh, at uh, PAX, we had people waiting four hours to play the game. We had 400 machines on the floor for people to play. I mean, just insane response. You know, we're going into BlizzCon in a couple months in yeah. November. Tickets, there's 24,000 tickets, I think, sold out in eight minutes. Wow. It's just crazy. So and, it's still. World of Warcraft still has that kind of momentum. I mean, it's still just... Yeah, it's still the top-grossing MMO in the world That's year amazing. after year. Yeah. How you old know, is that? How old is it again? This is the 10th anniversary. Yeah. 10th anniversary. We're actually getting 10th anniversary jackets as our holiday gift this year. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, the uh, you know this year at BlizzCon is actually going to be really cool because we're celebrating the 10th anniversary of Warcraft. We're releasing the new expansion. And uh, the, the, the main stage of BlizzCon is televised on DirecTV. So last year's like four and a half million people tuned in on DirecTV to watch in addition to the 24,000 people that were there. Um, we also have a voiceover stage, which isn't broadcast on DirecTV, but for the people that are there, um, you know, we have a number of panels where we bring voice actors that we work with on to talk about the characters that they created and that experience of being in the studio, of getting to know the lore. And some of our actors, it's amazing. They'll get in the booth and they'll know more about our lore than we do. Wow. You know, they'll, they'll just, they'll geek out in a way that we're just like, see, that's why we hire you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's a real treat to be working with, you know, not only incredibly talented people, but, you know, just people that, that know our games and are as passionate as right. we are. Because one of the things about Blizzard is anybody who goes to work there has to love the games and has to be really into the games. Right. So, you know, so when we have actors who, are, who have that kind of, you know, level of nerd that we do, it's, it, it definitely, uh, definitely geeks us out. That's awesome. So um, what's your day like? Like how many characters, how many lines do you guys try to get down in an hour, things like that? I mean, is it uh, – You know, it depends on the, on the, the project. You know, with, with uh, something like Hearthstone, you know, it's, it's card trading games. So these, they're really – it's super fast. It's super light. There are a ton of characters with really few lines. In our last expansion, we had 60 different characters, but they only had three lines apiece. Wow. So it's just in and out, you know, bang, bang, bang. We can probably do, you know, eight of those in an hour, you know, if we were really hustling. But right. you have to um, do a lot of casting and booking to get all of those different talents. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's, that you know, and, and the, the thing is, it's not, it's a challenge from the production side. It's also a challenge on the design side. You know, once it gets to uh, Peter Steinbach, who's our, our voiceover designer, um, you know, we had a conversation very early on when I got there. And, you know, he was saying how, you know, if you give me five characters with a hundred lines, that's a lot easier than if you give me a hundred characters with five lines, you know, because you have to go through and you have to create a new process and a new, you know, channel. Is he, ba- is he batch processing? He is, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but you know, again, when you as you move from character to character, sure. it's you know, and some things, you know, like we have an orc template. You know, I mean, we there are a couple of orcs in Warcraft, so we have you know a starting point, but nonetheless, it's still about crafting them, about making them you know different, adjusting it to the person's voice, right? You know, getting it to sit just right in the. Do you know some you know, of the tools yeah. that he uses? Does he use like dehumanizer or does he use? Uh... Hey, there's a lot of stuff. You know, I mean, I know he's using a lot of low ender and pitch and time. Um, you know, there's uh, the the G. DRM tools, uh, you know, he's using he's using he uses some isotope, but that's more our editors. Once it gets to Peter, I mean, everything's edited, so he's doing more of the design. Um, yeah, there's a, I mean, he's, he's you know he's got the whole wave suite and everything. Well, when it comes to you know other. You know, I know he – the specific – I don't know all the specific tools, again, because I'm more on the production sure. side than I am on the design side now, yeah. for better or worse. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot – like in StarCraft, we have a ton of, you know, time-based effects going on, reverse reverbs, delays right. to really give it that, you know, spacey alien kind of feel. So, so and, it's, and it's different from game to game. You know, I mean, you're not going to get that kind of processing in – you know Diablo, right? Uh, you, you know you have some of the demons that get more of that, but you know it's we have, there are hum, plenty of human characters in there too, and a right. lot of those chains are simpler. So, yeah. you know, it just depends from game to game how how his workload kind of shakes out. Now, when you all these characters are, do they do you record? them exclusively there or do you ISDN any of the characters things like that oh we, yeah we work with actors all over the world I was telling Scott earlier we worked with a couple actors in the UK recently um, and we patch in actors from New York we have right. you know actors up in San Francisco um, you know again I haven't been at the company that long but I know they've worked with actors you know where they've flown them in from other places too now let me ask you a question because I, I do a lot of ISDN sessions have you ever had a session where you've had you know it's been ISDN and what they're sending you is just utter crap. I mean, mm-hmm. it's either it's either the mic is horrible or mm-hmm. they're they they've got the gain stages set up wrong or anything like that. I mean, mm-hmm. have you ever come across situations where you've had to either stop and ask them to fix stuff or actually tell them, you know, we can't do this here because you guys got to, especially your dialogue because it's just so out there and it's just so exposed, you know. Yeah, you know, we had we we always ask the studio to send us the files that they're actually recording on their end, and a lot of times, you know, it's just a connection issue. So what they're getting in the studio is probably clean, right? So sometimes we can deal with it, but sometimes you know the monitoring situation is just so bad that we need to stop and, and make some adjustments and start over because we just can't even listen to it like that. So you know, the other day we had an actor on the ISDN, and then we had writers patching in. So we recorded in LA. We had you know an actor on the ISDN in the UK, and we had writers patching into LA from Irvine. Right. So you know it was like this giant loop from yeah. UK to Irvine with LA in the middle. And you know on the phone patch it wasn't that great. And then the, you know, we had to make some adjustments on the ISDN. They couldn't get it working at first. And you know so it, it, they you know in that kind of monitoring environment it's hard for them to really hear what's going on. So it can definitely you know make things difficult. I find ISDN sessions are kind of like all right. Let's see what we're gonna get this time (laughs) because usually like we do a lot of like trailer vo and things like that and 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 commercials and you get the isdn from the it's it's usually just the voiceover talent that has a box in their home but you can also do source connect too yeah Yeah. well yeah but the people that i work with it's it's mainly still isdn is still the king source connect i hear is getting big in new york they're using it a lot more out there but the problem is is if you ask the talent to adjust something they don't necessarily know 
what to adjust. You know, uh, I had that situation where I had to ask the talent because he was he was clipping when it was coming to me. So I know he was clipping the input gain on his ISDN box, and so he was blaring. He had to call a guy in Florida to it was the guy who designed his system to ask him. You know how to turn it down, so it was just—it was kind of crazy because he was like in Detroit. This guy was in Florida. I, I mean, you know, tech support. You know, it was—I just found it kind of hilarious. Yeah, I mean, we worked with the studio in Montreal recently, and that connection was—I mean, it was better than if they were in the studio sitting right yeah. next to us. So, you know, I mean, sometimes it's sometimes you get an amazing connection. Yeah, it's, and I think I think you're right, though, Scott. Was like Source Connect and some of these. Um, we got to get away from the ISDN box. I mean, we I haven't have used to. ISDN in so many right. years. But I also think that you know when you so look, many years. I mean, I look at a company like Blizzard, and I look at the standards in TV and film. Well, when you look at you know Bungie, three four three, Blizzard, uh, uh, you know, a lot of these companies are playing at the top of their game, and these guys are you know the the revenue they're making is pretty significant, very very significant. So what you know? What I'm always interested in is, I mean, because it's no longer yeah, it's a video game. No, this is a video game at the highest levels of of you know of audio right. of what it can mm-hmm. be. So the question I always wonder though is, have you guys gotten to the point where there are standard listening levels? So in other words, does anyone say, look, there's people in all over the place? Do you do a quick little pink? Everybody goes great. Here's the levels. Here's the that we're getting in. So everyone's always listening at the same level, no matter where you're at. Yeah, video games is still very much the wild, wild west in that way. But that would be cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it just creating standards and practices. Yeah. Yeah, somebody I know comes that in, no matter where you're but at, you know it's you're such, always listening, so you're not kind of going, hmm. It's such a wild west. I mean, literally, I do a couple ISDN sessions a week, at least. And I know the building, we probably do maybe four ISDN sessions a week there. And sometimes I even do it for a day, come to think of it, because we have we have two booths that run ISDN. And you just never know what they're gonna send you. And you never know at what level they're gonna send. I mean I have a standard in my room where I like I can see where it's hitting, but man, sometimes <clears throat> they're pegging and other times it's really down here and you ask them for a little bit more volume so it goes from ridiculously low to low. But don't you I mean, don't you have a a set of authorized standard studios around the world that you guys consistently use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, but a lot of the actors and we have specs that we send them before the session of what you know what we need to get back in terms you know in terms of what's at the recorded level. You know, but how often level. do you find a studio that you've never worked with? Like, well, we work with these guys unless it's some bizarre location. But it's <laughs> but it's voice talent. Voice talent doesn't go. To, I I rarely get a studio connecting ISDN to ISDN. It's all. Mm. Voice talent from their house to me, yeah. you know. Yeah, at no, least we're, we're, in the trailer yeah, studio, world. studio for us. I mean, yeah. we we do have a couple of actors who are just you know in their shorts, exactly, <laughs> recording voiceover and sending you the signal. But yeah, I mean, up until recently, I mean, you know, going back to when I was working at the studio, I mean, we, we there were a lot of problems with Source Connect, so it wasn't really even an option for yeah. a long time. It's it's gotten better, and I guess Pro X is really good now, and I haven't used it in a while. But um, you know, we'd actually we're, we're talking about getting that at least. Um, you know, at the studio in Irvine, so we can use that for remote monitoring cool. as opposed to a phone patch. Right. You know, just to up that right. that a little bit. But I don't know. You know, if we'd change much in terms of recording actors. I just did a series of spots for a uh, a theme park, and I'll leave it at that. And uh, 
the talents that we had was just you know from the home studio and it was way over modulated when it was coming to me you know when it was coming my way and i asked them and that seems to be the biggest thing is they they just don't know their gain stages they don't know how to set their gain stages and so um so it's over modulated coming to me I asked them to turn it down it's a lower version of the over modulation but it's still over modulated coming to me so um it wasn't bad wasn't horrible we recorded it a little zizz here there RX three save the day. Right. So, so you know, it's like it's just, I think I think also the the uh, I'll say a slight difference I think between let's say narration or voiceover compared to let's say acting. That's true. Because if I got two actors in a room that are recording separately, you're right. Boy, do they better sound like they're in the same universe on the mics. You're right. So if you have if everybody does their own version at home, I'm all over the place. No, that's true. And actually, yeah. that's right. It's a different. It's a different. One, one actor is roomy, and the other one is really tight. Yeah, it's and the other one's got noise in it. The other do? one's bright. The yeah. other. Yeah. And then, and then I know in games where we're doing thousands of lines of dialogue, it would be a nightmare to chase that. Yeah, I know that when uh, I probably shouldn't say who it is, but there's a, a couple clients that we have. We have to use a specific mic pre and a specific mic, no matter where we are. And it's and we it's always has to be that it's the same kind of mic, not the same exact mic. If if we go back to the same actor for yeah. pickups, yeah. same mic. I yeah, because there's a there's a woman our, our our cinematics production director. She used to work for DreamWorks, and she would she used to work in in, with, in dialogue for them, and she would have to carry the mic, yeah. the same mic, everywhere that they went to record dialogue. To just get that same consistency, uh, you know what? And that's 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 not wrong. That's nothing wrong no, with that, no, not man. At all. That's yeah. I mean, I wish yeah. more and more standards were like that sure. because there is a lot to recording the voice. I mean, the difference between um, a good performance and a great performance sometimes could come down to how much you hear of that voice, what you hear on that on on the growl and the attack and and the back. I mean, it's just. It really adds a lot by by the quality of your recording. And we would do stuff like same room, same recordist, same mic, same mic pre, exact same. Because it was done in LA, LA yeah. so we could. Rather than, uh, oh, hey, you know what? We're not available. Let's go over here. No. Because a, they want to make sure they got that, that, that right sound. Because if they're inserting a line... They just don't want to draw any attention to itself. Yeah, yeah. What we do, we've standardized. You know, I mean, basically over the years, me and my dialogue team. You know, we have two or three studios here in the valley that we love and that we use over and over oh, and over good. again. And then, well, you know, we have certain talent. There's a, a talent, a Disney talent in London, right? And you know, we don't. People are people are connecting into the sessions at six a.m. They're not at work. They're listening at home on their phones, <laughs> yeah. but because of the fact that we have such a great relationship with that recording studio, it's not this person doing it in their own home studio. Right, They're doing right. it at a recording studio. Yeah. We know that the dialogue itself is going to be completely standardized to the way that we expect, and it always comes that way. Especially, I would imagine, with the icon. I mean, your product is your voices. Yep. I mean, your voices are your product. And, yep. it's, and, if any, it, I, and I know, you know that if they sounded just a little different... Then people would know, and letters would fly. And, Mommy, um, Daddy, that's not <laughs> that's not Mickey. There are special recipes for how to do Chip and Dale. Yeah. There are special things. Donald Duck. You know, there's all. I mean, it's an incredible legacy, and it's an awestru- uh, an inspiring responsibility. If I think about it too much, I get terrified. Well, so, you and know, you know, we're gonna have to start wrapping this up. But I'll tell you what. 
you know, a really amazing dialogue editor is worth their weight in gold. Oh yeah. You know, that's that to me is one of the one of the best They're things. They're the unsung heroes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, when they can pull dialogue. syllables and, you know, and and make words plural that they said as a singular or make words singular that they said as a plural. I mean, there's just tiny when you're working in like sample length samples well, to, to adjust stuff. We do a lot of edits on the fly, too, in the studio. So, you know, the voiceover director will call out, you know, top of A, bottom of B, or like, you know, take out that word, that syllable, and, oh, yeah. and the writer's sitting behind them, yeah. and they have to do it. Not that they have to make it perfect, but how often, like, how close these guys can get to the mark, even just doing it like oh, yeah. that is, is pretty And I also say that on the film side, for ADR, and there's some, look, there's some great talent, but two of the guys that are kind of in the most demand... Is Tommy over at Warner Brothers and Doc over at Disney? Of course. And these guys, you know, you look at some of the great music mixers and how just the ears and the sensitivity are dead on. So these guys will just listen to a dialogue track and go, okay, that's a Shep, it's this, this, it's this radio mic combo. They know exactly what they're listening to and they've got a copy of everything. So then they go, I need to now match it. Okay, that's probably about here. You know, above you at a 40. Okay, and then, then there's the radio mic, but that looks a little bit lower on the shirt. It's probably about here. And these guys are just scary because the thing is, ADR is only good if it matches. And no matter how good a mixer is, they have to fight it. And if they can get the actor to perform and the director gets that performance out of them, these guys, whatever their mojo is, um, they're just able to get these matches that are scary good. There's a lot of up-and-coming guys, but again, it's they're just artists. They're just wonderful, and they make it look so easy, and they're crazy fast, and it's like really relaxed and no big deal. But uh, it's amazing when you don't have one, and these guys kind of stand out. And Doc Kane is like an unprepossessing, humble, oh, yeah. incredibly nice guy, and, and you know, yeah. I feel silly even being in the same room with him. Yeah. No, there, it's like there's a like I said, it, it's still to record the voice. There's just a lot of talent and a lot of talented people, and and if you do enough of it, you start, you start, you'll develop weird talents that that you never knew you had. You know, like one thing that that I can do is I can get a script and and they'll say, do you think we can fit this in thirty seconds? And I'll look at the script and I'll go, no way. Oh, no. <laughs> or yeah, that's thirty seconds because you're just so used to you know what the pace is, you know how many syllables you can get and what it looks like and. You know, and so when you record a lot of dialogue, when you work with a lot of dialogue, and the voice is complex, man. It is a complex, and it's. I'm amazed at like if you have two takes, and they may have been done at the exact same session, but he has a little energy here, and he has a little less energy here, and you try to put them together, and they just it just won't fit. It just just doesn't fit, and and it's like there's some complex stuff. So. Man, good luck at Blizzard <laughs> with you. all this stuff that you're yeah. doing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for and, having um, me. Yeah, no, no, you got to come back. I feel like we just um, just scratch the scratch scratch the surface on just dialogue and and recording the voice. And you know what? It's only going to get more and more important because as media starts becoming everywhere, and you're watching Netflix on your watch, can you imagine having to make sure your dialogue cuts? <laughs> You know, when when they put a tiny little speaker there, and now we're all we're all mixing a little watch. Once they put contact lenses over your eyes and like little you know hearing devices inside. As a sound designer, I'm going to build a back a belt pack, and it vibrates. 
So that'll be my sub. <laughs> so, you know, so it doesn't go away. I need to have a little rumble going on, you know. Be uh, sure to turn it around so that it's on the back. <laughs> Tell me where it's going. Oh, yeah. It's all, it's all about the words. Like, What's that? There is something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, Michael. And hey, before we go. Thank you. Tomorrow, what, what's your character? Oh, wait and wow. Yeah. I, I, I've got a, a night elf. But he's at level. I'm not even. I'm not even going to tell you what level I'm at because it's because that's one of the things actually people get on my case about is that I don't play enough of our games. I've logged a lot more time in Hearthstone than I have in WoW. So, wait, wait. Is it at least you know. in the 30s? I've logged a lot more time in Hearthstone. <laughs> 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 oh, what are you still? What are you still like at the Badlands battling Kodo dragons? <laughs> one more level and I get my mount. <laughs> uh, yes, I. I played World of Warcraft back in the day. I'm, nice. and, and I'm not ashamed to say it. Should be. Yeah, no, I got to play more of it. Like I said, I get, I get, I catch flack from people all the time. But I was, I was never in a guild, though. See, the thing is, yeah. when you play for a guild, like a guild leader, the people who are guild leaders are they're really, really into it. They're, yeah. they're the guys who are like they're basically like the field generals, you know, sending out the rest of the team to like, okay, yeah. you know, you you're gonna go get this loot over here, and you're gonna destroy these demons, and yeah. you know, it's it's really it's pretty incredible to watch. I just, those you know, what I, you know what I found myself doing? I just liked exploring, and I just yeah. liked yeah. going around and looking at all the different environments, and then. I'd, I'd level up because you, there's no way you could go into that environment when you're like level 10 and the monsters are like level 25. And you just – you walk there, death, death. And then they pretty much say, come back when you grow up. And so you go grow up and you come back and you get to kill the monsters and keep going. But um, I think that's the best thing that they did is they, they captured that whole sense of adventure and the fact that you can have your friends there too and, and laugh and have a good time. It was – I can see why it's. I can see you never really played this, Mike. No, did I you, did. Did you get did to level ninety when, when it first came out, man? Like I worked at a post house, and literally on downtime, we'd all be playing. You know, because you know, he mixes. That's what the supervisor walks going. What's everybody doing? <laughs> playing World of Warcraft. Exactly. Because you understand the economy what? dropped by two percent. Because everybody <laughs> when, when it but it was a really we take this stuff for granted. But when it first came out, it was a really big deal that you could go and interact in this virtual environment, and not only interact you know with the environment itself, but you know we like Nick could come along and we could both oh, yeah. do a shared quest, and we could both do stuff, and then. Inside the game, it had its own economy, and it was just—it really broke ground on a lot of levels. But we um, used to play where my brother was the tank and I was the magic user. There you go. And exactly. every Sunday night at seven o'clock or whatever, we would sit down, and yeah. it would be three hours of us just romping around. <laughs> That's and, right. And it's great. It's really fun. It's so, a very nice social thing along those lines. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I grew out of it, but it's fun to like. I, I know if I ever wanted to go back, I'd have my little Taran Hunter there with it, with its pet. That's a good thing about a hunter, see, is you could stand back and you send the pet in to do all the dirty work. <laughs> you still get all the experience Exactly. For <laughs> so, you know, this is Mike going far is yeah. out. Hey, look, look, I'm an equal opportunity geek, okay? <laughs> Sound, music, games, I geek out on all the ones. So, so Mike, are you, what are you doing now? Are you, like, uh, doing uh, World of Warcraft? Uh, no, you, you know what? My, my video game of choice is Battlefield 4. So... What can I say? A little, little different. A lot different. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, listen. Thank you so much, Michael, for, for joining us. This yeah, is really great. You, yes. And um, awesome. before we go, anybody have anything they want to talk about that they uh, were working on or are working on? I've been, I've been doing an 
unbelievable amount of work in Logic Pro 10. Wow. Uh, lately, it's fantastic. You know, we'll get into it. We've talked about it on the show a couple of times before. I am probably spending as much time inside of Logic as I am inside of Pro Tools now. I think that this new version is absolutely fantastic. And anyone who's out there who is interested in learning about it, I discovered a whole series of tutorials on YouTube totally free from a guy named Music Tech Help Guy. He's done like 60 videos bit by bit by bit showing you exactly how to use Logic Pro 10. And if you want to learn the program very well, I recommend going out and checking that stuff out. That's awesome. And you know what? We'll have to talk about, about Logic, um, especially version 10 because I've heard a lot of really good things. I haven't been back to Logic in a while, so it'd be cool to kind of check it out again. Um, Rob, how about you? You working on anything fun, exciting? You yeah. can talk to us? I, I love the way you segue to me after Logic. That's <laughs> But uh, I think Logic's fine for people who haven't found the software that's better. But, uh, <laughs> I will say the segue here, though, is I am in Austin right now, and I was actually here a couple weeks ago, and I linked up with our old friend Bill Burgess, speaking of Logic. Yay. Nice! And we went out for some good Austin, Texas barbecue, and we had a really nice... Uh, Night. I'm probably going to see him again later this week. That's awesome. So he told me to send his regards to everybody, and he thinks about us, and he does listen to the podcast. So here's a shout-out to Bill. And, Bill, when Rob's back, you're going to have to uh, Skype in. Yeah, that would be really good, actually. Yep. So he that's Bill it, uh, and your mom. So that's two. <laughs> All right, so we've got two listeners. Uh, and I'll just say, for me in Austin, uh, things are going great with The Misses. That's the band that I'm down here uh, producing and working with, and they did a TV appearance this morning in Austin, so that's why I'm down here now. And they're playing another uh, show at the beginning of next week, and then I will be back in LA for another visit. I was there, was it a week or two ago? I got to see Scott. I was there for a very short time, but I am planning to come back and spend some more time. But everything with the band is going great, and uh, you'll have a lot more announcements about that coming up. Yeah, yeah, brother, because we've got next week, right? We're going to. Go to dinner or something, right? That is true. All right. Just and that would be that. made a lot easier by us being in the same city for a change. <laughs> That's true. Scott, you've been, you've been working on some pretty cool things. I, I've been a little busy. Uh, well, um, I had one movie that premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, a uh, Jake Gyllenhaal movie called Nightcrawlers. Uh, Nightcrawler. And a uh, great movie. Um, it's a little more adult, uh, like kind of Taxi Driver, uh, and it's on News Gathering. Wonderful film uh, by Danny Gilroy, who wrote uh, Real Still and Born, uh, the Born series, um, with uh, brother Tony uh, producing and the other brother John being the picture cutter. Um, and that was fun, and that's got starting to get a lot of buzz, and that comes out October 31st. And then uh, for the family movie, um, uh, Guillermo del Toro produces and, and Jorge um, uh, directed. Uh, a, a new movie, a new animated movie by Fox called The Book of Life. Nice. And the animation's crazy good. Uh, the story's wonderful. Um, and it's, it's not as much a cutesy style. Uh, it's a, got a lot more depth to it. I think the adults will uh, really enjoy it. I think the kids will enjoy it. Um, and both boys and girls. Um, I think Jorge's been working on this probably 15 years. I started as a CalArts student. Nice. Um, you know, Jorge's a director that um, uh, that has just kind of grown up. Uh, Real Effects in Texas were the ones that uh, ended up partnering with Fox. Um, and it's kind of a Day of the Dead 
Uh, but it's, it's just, it's so deep. I think parents will enjoy the depth of it. The kids will find a different kind of movie. And I think it's one of the great classics that, that's being done. And, and uh, I think it's also interesting because, you know, much like, you know, I've worked on lots of movies, uh, DreamWorks, Disney, and, and now Fox. Um, like Mulan wasn't, you know, Japanese movie, Chinese movie, whatever. It wasn't, it, it can meet to everybody. And I think that, you know, this isn't a Mexican movie. Right. It's a movie for everybody. But what's interesting is I'm curious to see how it goes internationally. Hmm. Because I think it's got a massive international appeal. And uh, anyway, it was, it's just a wonderful film that I was able to be part of. And, and uh, I'm pretty excited. That comes out October 17th. Awesome. Looking forward to, to that. And it's good that you, we can see you now. Makes <laughs> <laughs> like you start another movie. <laughs> as opposed to the emails. I, know. I can't make it. I'll be on stage. Yes, Rob. Rob. I also want to say uh, when I was back there last week, I did spend some time with Scott as part of his speaker shootout. And I just wanted to say to the public, Scott, you made the right choice. Ah, all right. And that's, you know what? Our next podcast, we're going to have to talk about that, the speaker shootout. Cause, yeah. uh, we should because it was really, 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 really deep. All right. And we'll, uh, that's all. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna tease it at that, and, um, and we will talk about that. Bobby, how about you? I'm finishing up the 101 Mixed Tricks coaching course. It should be out by the time this podcast is uh, posted. Um, I'm finishing up the last song on on a Patricia, uh, Patricia Bahia album uh, that I'm mixing, and Scott and I are traveling to Costa Rica next week to speak at a conference. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're actually twins. <laughs> <laughs> that's what. What is the conference? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. It's an international audio gathering. And what's fascinating about this, and I'm, I'm just totally fascinated by it, thinking of a guy from the States, from France, from Spain, from England, it's like they're grabbing this audio experts from all over the world, and they're talking about plug-in programming, acoustics. It's actually very tech-deep. That's and awesome. It's, uh, you know, many times uh, I just got speaking at Sony for Immersive Audio, with a wonderful panel um, with Mix Magazine. And a lot of times they were saying, let's just keep it more creative. Let's not get too technical. Right. Uh, meanwhile, this conference, which is a little bit different, wants go deep as deep as you can. Wow, that's cool. So we're going to get into the nitty gritty, and you know, there's going to be topics like 4K, not your best friend. You know, you know, you know <laughs> uh, For me, what I'm thinking about doing is a deconstruction of how to make sound for a movie, and I'm going from cradle to grave on how to make a movie soundtrack and a game soundtrack ah. so everything from pitching ideas to reading a script analyzing script to checking prints and 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 doing uh QCing on games and then i'm going to show a combination of hellboy and pacific rim that's cool that's cool well safe journeys to you guys yeah, yeah thank you there. thank you and what are you working on mike um you know, I'm just getting ready to start another series, the animated series that I do. But actually, I finished working um, – well, this summer was really busy, but um, – well, he's not here, so I can talk about it. I've been working on mixing some stuff for an artist that is on the panel who I will not say. Yeah. Who happens to have a British accent? I'm just saying. Hello. I'm just, I'm just saying because I don't want to – you know, okay. I, don't want, I don't want to be the one who's going to break the news of – 
a ton of new music that is possibly out there that could be coming out next year. It's not going to be me. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. And it has nothing to do with paper. <laughs> but um, but actually, I've been uh, I've been working on some stuff um, along with that. That uh, it's been really fun mixing. And speaking of mix tips, Bobby Summerfield, man, he totally saved my butt. And on this, and I'm going to give this quick little mix tip out. And I needed to. I had a, a, a four four bass that was going, and I had a real heavy bass guitar part that was going, and I needed that 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 kick to cut through a little bit more, right? So you're working down there on the low end. And normally, you know, you compress it a little EQ and stuff like that. And he and he's like, throw a multiband up there. And I go, okay. I threw a multiband. He goes, now, on the very low end, set where your crossover is and then just lower the threshold on that, raise the threshold on everything else so it only affects the low end. And it's going to wrap it in this nice little compression that you you – can't hear but you definitely can feel and you could kid it so you could hear it because i was messing around and that was brilliant that was just a great little mix tip where it's like it's one of those like why didn't i think of that mm. you know and it's it's so obvious but yet i didn't think about it yeah. you know so i'm over here trying to carve rooms and coming up with these oh maybe if i do the eq curve here and i can just kind of peek this one there and something as simple as that and boom it's cutting through so that was a nice little a nice little mix tip for that one. But um, actually, your book probably has a hundred of them. It's not a book. It's a coaching course. Oh. I've done uh, 200 and some odd videos. Wow. Or, yes. See, you know what? It's never too late to learn. It's, I mean, you can you pick up tips all the time. It's, I just it's want to know amazing. where I stick the USB so I can download the stuff. Yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael, are you working on anything? I mean, you're just getting ready for the uh, for the. Anything new... you can talk about? Yeah. yeah we don't right. want to get you in trouble. <laughs> but, um... Um, yeah, there's a ton of stuff I can't talk about. I mean, stay tuned for BlizzCon. I mean, there's going to be some big announcements there. That's November 7th and 8th. And the following Tuesday, 11, 13, 14, is Warlords of Draenor, the new Warcraft expansion. Wow, so. that's awesome. Yeah. All right, well, go ahead, Rob. I will make one other announcement. Uh, it was just announced, and I know this because I'm getting calls from around the country, that Stevie Wonder is about to go on a uh, on a tour yes. performing Songs in the Key of Life. Yes, nice. yeah, I saw that. And maybe this is a way to get the message out to the universe. I cannot help you get tickets. <laughs> There are no free tickets to be had. It is an awesome, awesome show. So if it's coming to a city near you, actually, everybody in Austin's complaining because it's not. I think the closest coming here is like Chicago or something. I haven't seen the full schedule, but there aren't that many shows and it isn't hitting the whole country. But if it does come to anywhere near where you are, it is a pretty amazing experience. He's performing songs in the key of life live and it's it's pretty amazing. And that's him right now saying, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was just a version. <laughs> He's saying he wants tickets. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know, okay. <laughs> no tickets. That's, really? He was asking for tickets. He was asking for tickets. That is hilarious. That is hilarious. But it is going to be awesome if you do happen to buy tickets. You will have a great time. <laughs> That's. Wow. I'm going to go buy the lottery ticket right now. <laughs> um, all right. Well, hey, listen. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. And I know the podcasts were kind of thin this summer. Everybody's really busy, but um, we're going to get back on a, a good uh, two – two-week schedule so we'll have the podcast um, more frequently so it'll be really kind of cool and there's some really great guests that we're um we've got lined up um 
so stick around. Hang out with us. I apologize for the late uh, postings, but better late than never, as I say. <laughs> All right, from you myself. Know, we missed the summer, but you would never know it right now in, in right. California. <laughs> I know, huh? All right, well, for myself and all the guys, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>